I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to The Millennial Divide, a podcast about navigating the millennial decade. We are three sisters bookending the generation. I'm Amy, and I'm question mark millennial at the moment and having a bit of an existential crisis, but I'm calling myself a millennial, and God damn it, I am. <laughs> this podcast is a process. It's like your therapy session. By the end of the podcast, I'll be like we'll know. a baby boomer. <laughs> Heaven help us. Yes. Um, I'm Ellen. I'm 33, and I'm in the middle. And I'm Dimity. I'm the youngest member at 27 years old and definitely, certainly, 100% a millennial. There is no question there. No yes. question. You are in. That sounds like an insult, Amy. No, 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 no. We're celebrating difference here. So on this podcast, we have a look at all the big issues confronting the generation and we take a bit of a different view depending on our life stage. And today we've got an interesting one and a special guest star, girls. Woohoo! first guest star. Woo-hoo. Oh my gosh, it's a big day. So we're going to talk about millennial men today. And yes. given none of us are one... <laughs> Not yet. Not the, no. No. <laughs> that was another podcast. That, <laughs> that was actually. last week. <laughs> yep. Um, we're going to find one. And luckily, we've got one. Yay! We just so happened to have one in our own bloodline. So oh. we didn't even have to go outside of the family. It is so lucky. We're running out of, we, that is it for siblings. Yeah. <laughs> so that we can't expand. But anyway, we're going to call on our brother, Nathan, to give us an opinion. So that's very exciting. So on this episode, we're going to cover a whole bunch of topics, including Rachel Vice having a baby at 48. That's pretty bloody impressive, I very, would say. So we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about the old conundrum of childcare and how expensive it is and also the fact that it's very much indexed against a woman's salary and I particularly how I feel about that and I'll tell you and you can <laughs> tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> we wouldn't dare. No. <laughs> we'll go through some recommendations. So on this week we'll actually have the last episode of a podcast that we will, uh, we will review and talk about and that's the Dear Sugars podcast if anyone listens to it. This week, Ellen, you will pose a question. It's one that has been sitting with me for a couple of weeks, so I'm actually glad I've got the forum. <laughs> oh, <laughs> to excellent. Ask you both. <laughs> Beautiful. We love a good forum question. And Dim, we'll finish with a mantra from you this week. So that'll be a nice Wrap little calming. In for oh. some inspiration. Okay. <laughs> Can't wait. Kicking off then with our millennial men. Let's get to it, ladies. So we all saw this article this week and it really captured my attention. Clearly it's a bit of clickbait, but I do think it's interesting. The headline was millennial men say women are favoured at work. And the initial response from my little brain was, oh, for God's really (laughs) poor millennial men. It must be so hard being you. But, Dim, you read the article as well. And, and tell us, talk us through the stats of what you read. So this is an article, as Amy said, millennial men, it is a hard word to say, <laughs> millennial men say women are favourite at work. It was written in the Sydney Morning Herald by Jenna Price. And 
Look, I'm actually just going to read out some of her writing. It's really eloquently put to give a bit of an overview. But essentially, the first sentence is, millennial men are leading a major backlash against women's rights, according to new research from the University of Canberra. Those men, born between 1982 and 2000, say they are left out of the conversation about gender equality and believe there is too much political correctness at work. Nearly half say their rights are being eroded by the focus on gender equality. So that's end quote. So in numbers, uh, what that looks like in this in this study by the University of Canberra is that 46% of men believe gender equality measures don't take men into account. 41% of men believe political correctness gives women advantage in the workplace. 42% of men believe males are increasingly excluded, excluded from measures to improve gender equality. And this was quite a big study. It was of 2,122 mm. Australians. So we can take it seriously. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so what I immediately what I thought of is that's our brother. He's in this generation. He's in a mm. workplace or has worked across a number of different workplaces that have been male-dominated, female-dominated, and he's, you know, been given promotions and et cetera. So I was really interested to hear what he said. So how would we feel about dialing him in? Yes, let's do it. Let's hope he's got a good opinion that we agree with. <laughs> I know. This could be the family divide. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no longer the millennial. Okay, let's call. Hello, Nathan. How are you doing? <laughs> Hello, Nathan. You probably Hello. can't hear us very well, but we're on and the line too. Sisters. <laughs> sisters. Thank you so much for giving up your Wednesday night, putting your little son to bed, I'm sure, <laughs> to talk very important things about men in the workplace. Yes, I am the resident expert. <laughs> Within the family. You're it. Yes. As much as us, Nathan. Like, <laughs> I mean, we, we were going to speak on your behalf, but we thought we'd better give you a call. So, Nathan, as we were just talking about this article, Millennial Men Say Women Are Favoured at Work, I obviously have some opinions about that, feeling that as a woman, you know, we're, we're not always favoured at work. But before I jump to conclusions <laughs> and assume the worst of yes, all men, I wanted to ask what you think. So put me in my place, Nathan. Go on. Here's your forum. <laughs> well, it's an interesting one. It's an interesting article, mainly because I work in the communications industry as well, which is female-dominated to begin with. And I've never really experienced any gender bias or anything in, in that industry. But I have had it um, said to me, actually, in other industries that are perhaps more male-dominated, that, yeah, there has been circumstances where, um, in one particular instance, um, there were two positions available. Both were, were seen as a promotion um, in this industry. And there was just over 80 applicants and about 70, I think it was about 73 of them were male and seven were female. But it was very clearly said that in for this role uh, that there would be one female and one male promoted to these these roles, which I found interesting in the sense that you've got you're not necessarily promoting based on the two best candidates, you're promoting based on the best male candidate and the best female candidate. So you're actually drawing a, a gender conclusion based on, on the two roles, which, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's a, a, a challenging one to kind of get across. Mm. Do you do you think, speaking on behalf of um, all of the men ever in the world, <laughs> in the millennial, um, you know, generation, uh, do you think that men are perhaps could it be that they're feeling threatened? That they're that oh, there's absolutely. 
Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Because it's, um, I think there's this perception out there that for someone to gain, someone needs to lose. Mm. And, yeah, that that's definitely been, been putting on people on the wrong foot. I think where it becomes murky is that situation where, yeah, promotions are, are not necessarily under the guise of equality, but they're based on gender. So it's not actually having an equal footing. It's it's putting separating on gender lines to begin with. Mm. There's an interesting quote, and I think it was just based on on Ray Martin Luther King. But it was um, he was saying that um, if you had a hundred meter race and you had two athletes starting the race, and they're both this, exactly the same. But you start one three hundred years ahead of the other. The the second one, no matter how good they are, will never mm. catch up. And I think we're kind of in a similar situation here. That it's not necessarily equality. It's it's actually saying, well, to get equality, you actually need a, a leg up for, for the one that's been disadvantaged for a long time, because otherwise, there's no chance of catching up. Spoken like a man with three sisters. <laughs> that's wonderful, Nathan. We're going to end the podcast now. <laughs> Thank you, Nathan. Appreciate your time. No worries. Hopefully, it was helpful. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was very interesting, and I, I we haven't actually spoken to him about no. that before, so that we didn't know what he was going to say, and we we didn't vet him before. Promise. But it is it's a really challenging question, this one, and I I feel really torn about it as a as a topic because part of me goes suck it up, boys. You are going to have to deal with a world that doesn't just um, favour you. Mm. And that might mean that sometimes you're disadvantaged Mm. or that might mean that you feel like you're not part of the conversation Mm. and that's sort of how it's got to be, unfortunately. Mm. And the other part of me thinks, well, if they're not on board, Mm. the world's not going to change Mm. because men still run most companies Mm. And politics is governed predominantly by men Mm. and men need to believe in this Mm. cause. And, you know, there's some great work being done by the male champions of change in the corporate sector and that's having real change. But I also just feel really frustrated that they're having a whinge. Mm, I agree. As a little fun fact of one of the, something this study found as well, they um, found that one third of men believe women are better at household tasks. I just didn't want that <laughs> well, not to true, get said. So. That's true. I mean, that's that is based on yeah. fact. Yeah, yeah, of yeah. Our, you know, physical ovaries. <laughs> we're able to. It's our ovaries, but also it's our size because we're able oh, to we're reach smaller. the little places to get all of the I dust. I think my husband would object to that because he is much cleaner than me. He's taught me how to be really clean. Uh, our, my standard of hygiene is very low. Maybe. It was all of us. Well, Adrian's a much better housekeeper yeah. than oh I am. Oh my too, god, so. it's all—it's us. <laughs> We're the problem. God, I feel like this is the quote that um, one of the report's authors had is a really good way of summarising how we need to approach this. It's Professor Mark Evans and Virginia Halsodger, I can't say that name, from the 50 50 Foundation at the University of Canberra. They wrote, the observation that younger generations of men view themselves as outsiders actively excluded from what is now increasingly one of the key debates in many workplaces indicates that there is no room for complacency if we want to avoid a backlash against workplace interventions to address gender inequality. Mm, Excellent. Well, I totally agree. So I think we're all on board. More conversations, more inclusive um, discussions. Bring both sides into the conversation and let everybody feel like they're equal together. And less whinging, man. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) 
Okay, so a lighter topic now, a bit of pop culture for you all. So Rachel Weiss, and it's pronounced Weiss people, we've Googled it, it's correct, is, has had a baby at 48. Mm. Now that seems like a phenomenal feat to, for her to do that. What are we all thinking about that? What, what do we know? So for a little bit of context, Rachel Weiss is an actress. She's an English actress. She's married to Daniel Craig, who's 51. I oh, should have double-checked really? this. Yeah. Really? He yeah. looks good for 51. I reckon he looks about 51. Really? Yeah. Yeah. He's looking good. A well-kept 51. <laughs> <laughs> and um, she's been in a few um, notable movies, such as um, The Constant Gardener, 2005, um, 2015 The Lobster, really art house, really Runaway important. Jury, um, which is one of the best ones. Or the one that I know her for, The Mummy, 1999. Classic, <laughs> classic film. Oh, Is she in that? No. Mm. She's the love interest. <laughs> oh. yeah, very important film, Amy. You should, okay, you should make sure you get on to that. Mm. But, yeah, she's had, a, she's had a baby with Daniel Craig and... Um, Obviously, 48 is it's higher than average for the average age of having a child. Oh, they already both have children. kind of double yeah, what the yeah. it's much, optimum it's age. Much more average, yes, <laughs> yeah, much more. And I was interested in actually what is the age that people are generally having children. I looked up the Australian Institute of Health and Wellbeing report mm. in 2017, <laughs> and they found that the average age of all women who gave birth it is rising, as mm. we're probably all expecting. It was 30. Point three years old in 2015, um, and it which was is probably about what I was uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and um, in 2005, sorry, it was 29.7, mm. median age slightly higher, mm. 31 years in 2015. So that's an increase for everybody, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander mothers as well. And the proportion of mothers aged 35 and over has increased from 20% in 2005 to 22% in 2015. And in America, the 30 to 44-year-old mothers have been found to be the highest since the baby boom era in the 1960s. So Mm. that's – and teenage mother stats are going down. So it's all shifting to being much um, higher and later in life. Why baby boomers? I think because they were having a lot and a lot later. So it might not have been their first, whereas I think now... On average, after their sixth child. (laughs) I think it's really interesting because obviously I'm 37 having my first child, Mm. so I'm sort of in that older category. I think they still call you a geriatric mother. They do over 35. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that really offensive Mm. on every level? I know. I was offended when I saw it on my (laughs) medical form. But what interests me, and look, who knows what... Rachel Weiss's stories. Maybe she mm. conceived naturally. Maybe she used donor eggs. Who knows? But I think it puts a fair amount of pressure on women, all this publicity about having children older mm. or having this expectation of just this never-ending fertility. Mm. And it mm. is, I mean, I don't think any woman would think that fertility just can go on forever. But I do think some of these high-profile later-age pregnancies put a lot of pressure and, and they're very, I mean, the stats are staggering. When I was looking at some of this, you know, the natural conception rates for over 40 are, are about 5%, you know. Oh, wow. They're, they're really low per cycle, I believe. So it's quite, it is a very unusual thing to happen and mm. I think to get so much attention mm. um, and for it to be seemingly the norm as well in that celebrity circle, you know, yeah. Nicole Kidman did it and there's a few others who are yeah. sort of high profile and, and while it's great, you know, if it can happen, it's fantastic. I just think it's just more pressure on women to be able to do everything at every age and mm. deliver and mm. have this perfect sort of life and, and body and 
Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm interested in that because I saw, when I saw that, I thought, oh, that I feel like there's going to be a backlash for this because of her age and because everybody knows fertility, fertility rates, blah, blah, blah. But then I immediately thought, just let her do what she wants. It's her body and it's his body and, you mm. know, they've made this decision. And my idea of it was, well, that's absolutely, if she can, power to her you know and that's her decision and to... has the resources and the money I well that's think what I key. kind of resent yeah. because right. I think there's sort of incumbent on you and I don't know I, I feel like yeah. as a celebrity mm. you know if it if it hasn't necessarily been something that's been easy or what have you then and you're talking about it a lot mm. which she has she's mentioned it in in interviews then I think it's almost irresponsible not to give the full story. Right. Mm. That's oh, how yeah. I feel. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. I agree. Like when you get Botox or something and you're like, I look this great because I've had Botox. Well, like <laughs> Nicole Kidman. <laughs> we don't know that. We don't know we that. Allegedly. 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 <laughs> She's not definitely. What? Because I did a bit of research on this too. And what I found interesting about this was in the New York Times they'd done um, a bit of background and some reports. But what was really interesting was that previously mothers who were 35 or um, higher who had children, they seemed to score lower on cognitive testing. This was a couple of years ago um, and they couldn't quite figure out, you know, what the difference was and they thought, oh, maybe it's just because the mothers are older. But in recent testing, children who were born of mothers who are over 35 actually did better. Oh, thank God, because I was oh, no, like, no, oh, no, no. I can't change it now. <laughs> Sorry, baby. Start drinking yeah. the smart juices now, Amy. Get that baby going. No, they do better oh, now good, good, good. on cognitive testing. So actually, than... Ellen, you've done your baby disservice. Well, I'm out in the middle, so I'm okay. okay. <laughs> but what they're thinking is that what's actually what it actually is showing, which it you know, always seems to come back to is that previously mothers who were a little bit older were having their, that had a lot of children, they were maybe having a couple of children, they were generally lower socioeconomic, maybe not as educated, mm-hmm. whereas now mothers are making the choice to have it later. They've gone off to get, you know, do their jobs and maybe get a bit more education and they're generally a bit more stable with their um, economic circumstances. So it's actually just the characteristics of the mother. Mm-hmm. That is changing, mm-hmm. so that has an impact on the so child's cognitive ability. That Rachel Vice and Daniel Craig's baby is going to be like a super baby yes. with a lot of money. Yes, it's going to be like Stephen Hawkins. Okay, so what are we in in favour or, or yay or nay? I think do what you want to do. Your body. Ellen's your on the fence. <laughs> Dim? You should have a baby at 48. I feel like I need to be decisive. <laughs> I'm going to go with yes, do what you want to do, but be honest. I like that. Yeah. Okay, so recommendations this week. Dear Sugars. Now, Elle, you're going to talk us through Dear Sugars, and this is one close to all of our hearts. I got a little tear in my eye this week. I don't actually know if it's close to Dimity's because she spoke oh, she's to giving, me this week Okay, about it. she's giving us, like, yeah. daggers over here. No, not, not daggers, no. just wide-eyed Bambi. <laughs> oh, no, I, no I, I'm not, I haven't been listening, so I'm the okay. objective outsider. Okay, okay. So, mm. Elle, talk us through Dear Sugars. So, Dear Sugars is... One of my favourite podcasts, and I am very sad to see it go. And it's um, by Cheryl Strayed, who wrote Wild, wonderful book and movie with um, Reese Witherspoon, and Steve Armand, which is actually spelled Armand. But I know. <laughs> when I Googled it as well, I was like, oh, it's Steve Armand. Steve <laughs> is Armand. Armand. And it started out as a column in The Romper, and now it's in the New York Times. It's still a great column. And it's all it's a, um advice column where people write in, and they write – 
very deep personal letters. And what's amazing about this podcast and what hooks you in is the letter writers are so beautifully articulate in their issues and their problems and they can span a whole range of things. So one of the episodes was, you know, the stepchild dilemma or cutting the financial cord, which I do know you listened to because we had a discussion about it after a road trip. And yes, and another title was Should I Intervene? So they're very, you know, personal things and a lot of the letter writers, all of them write in anonymously. And what's great about it is Cheryl Strait and Steve Allman have this lovely discussion Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Discussion and they often bring um, literary comments into it because they're both writers and they really look expansively at what the issue is and where it's come from. And they've just finished up after four years of doing their podcast. So they were, you know, one of the very early podcasters. And it's a, yeah, it's a real ba- balance between advice and wisdom. And they often bring in a guest who's, they were saying this week in their final one, somebody that might be an expert, but just also somebody that might have uh, given wisdom. And it's all very supportive and positive and about just helping people, which is so lovely. Yeah, I mean, it's one of my favourites and I'll I'll be really sad for it to go. And I, I'll definitely go through the back catalogue. And Me I guess too. anyone who's listening, go through, listen to... Start from the start. Oh, you're in for a treat. It's just, they call it, um, and it's an advice column that uses, they call it radical empathy. Mm. And that's what I love about it. They're very open-minded. You know, Cheryl Strade's lived a life. Um, she's non-judgmental, but she's very to the point. Yeah. So she will tell she's you. She's like your tough auntie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She's she's empathetic to a point, and then she'll mm. she'll get, tell it how it is. Whereas Steve Ullman is just this kind, sensitive, <laughs> well thought through, yeah. empathetic, um, mm. literary man, mm. and he just provides these gorgeous sort of eloquent synopsis mm. of, of the issue. But when I was listening, to this, so they've had their final episode, mm. and they had lots of people ring in mm. and talk about what it meant to them. But what I really liked, and and I've actually done this myself at times, is when I've had a conundrum or a problem in my life, I've thought, what would the dear sugars tell me? Yeah. And I've actually, I've written a letter or Mm. I've I've repeated, I've tried to think about their voices in my head. And I've then given myself advice mm. based on how I thought they would react. Mm. And that has actually yeah. helped me on a number of times when I've been really in a bind. Yeah. And they're, they're just so insightful and they cover these really challenging topics. Yep. Um, and quite taboo often. Yeah. Um, you know, about relationships and love and sex and all of those things that you sometimes don't even want to talk to your closest friends about. So, yeah, it's very true. And somebody else calling in about the end of the podcast, they said it's so lovely because – even if you haven't answered my question, when I go to other 
topics, I can get something from everything. Mm. And I'm the same, you know, even in, you know, the stepchild dilemma, I'm not a step, I've got nothing to do with stepchildren myself. But, you know, there's always little pearls of wisdom about how to live your life with um, positivity and openness and reflection, I think, is the thing that they keep coming back to. But mm. yeah, so Dim, you hadn't really listened to it before this week. Yeah, so I listened <laughs> to this final episode. I know, it's a bit hard to come in on the final one. It was. And yeah. I, and well, like, as you said, Ellen, I then thought, oh, no, I have, I think I've listened to one <laughs> other episode, which was strategically probably played to me, which, as Ellen mentioned, was cutting the financial line with parents. How, no, I think kids. it was actually Did mum just... send you that? <laughs> I think Ellen played it to me and was like, listen. Stop. And did he spent the whole time going, oh, no, I'm not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly learned a lot, <laughs> took, it, took it away. Um, so I started listening to the podcast and thought, you know, I know that this is very um, important to my sisters and <laughs> very helpful and I in the first 10 minutes was annoyed. Um, I was going to say don't listen to the first 10 minutes of the I final one. I was annoyed one. Yeah, because you have to that know. Steve Armand, <laughs> Steve Armand, he was Armand. so... Armand. He was so verbose. Like mm. he used a lot of expressive language that's very important. And I just was like, oh, come on. Like he was so serious. And I don't know, he was all just a bit much. But then I started hearing all of the all of the people. So mm. what they did was they had people who had previously written in, they interviewed them again and said, what's happened in your life since you wrote in and we provided mm. the advice. And all of them were like, you have changed my life. And it was, <laughs> yeah. it was, it was beautiful. And yeah. I was like, Oh, this little community that I had no mm. idea about is so important to so many people and has provided so much direction and clarity mm. for so many people. And it was really beautiful. Mm. So I drank, I drank the Kool-Aid and <laughs> you're um, going to go back through the back I've catalog. I've a letter I would like to read out today. <laughs> Please don't. Please don't. Please. <laughs> no, I think what I've really loved about it is that you can go back and when you've got an issue about something, you can look at all the titles and you go, oh, that's perfect. That's exactly what I need at this mm. moment. So if you do ever come across something and you go, I have no idea where to turn for this, go to Dear Sugars, have a look back through. There's four years of beautiful podcasts and you, you do get pearls of wisdom, I think, in every little episode and they're about half an hour so it's a nice little yeah it's snack, snack, size. snack size okay so we're all on board is yes, that we're all unanimous going oh dim's giving us a real kind <laughs> of 50 50 look guys, she's doing an ellen she's sitting <laughs> on the middle I am. I don't want to. I think it's important to a lot of people. So that's I just think I don't think you've had enough life experience yet to really get the most oh, out of it. Yeah, that's and exactly that how note. you're going to get me to like this podcast. That's exactly what you'd say. Okay, moving right along. <laughs> okay, so just a, a quick one. Uh, we always have a what's on our mind, and something that has been on my mind for quite some time is. The question of childcare, maybe it's because I'm entering that phase in my life where childcare will be needed. And also there have been some legislative changes in recent times that have impacted the rebates that parents get from childcare in Australia now. And it is changing based on um, household income. But there's a, there's a common denominator that really bugs me at the moment, and that is about the way that childcare costs are perceived. And the number of times I've heard, well, if there isn't a change to the way that um, childcare is rebated, then it's going to really impact the woman's ability to work. Mm. And that if childcare costs go up, well, the woman's really going to have to consider whether she returns to work. 
And it just does my head in because it implies that the woman is responsible for the childcare um, payments and that it's only really the only benefit of the woman working is to pay for childcare. And it doesn't look at all the other benefits of women working and the broader household income that's at play and that it likewise could be the man's salary that is indexed. And I'm just wondering what everyone's thinking because as the recent changes have happened, I've heard had a number of um, people who I really, really respect and senior women in the workforce who have all said by reducing the childcare rebates, so basically by putting a cap, which I think is about $350,000 in Australia for households, by putting that cap in, what you're really saying is that women in senior management are going to be impacted and that we're really going to be taking senior women out of the workforce. And I kind of get that argument, but I, it just does my head in that that is the approach. And I'm wondering whether, Dim and Elle, you've thought about this and what your thoughts are as to whether, yes, it, it should be against the whole household um, income or whether the the practical reality is unfortunately it still is a, a female issue and it will mean that by having more expensive childcare, women mm-hmm. won't be in the work- workplace as much. What do you both think? I think it stems from because obviously, you know, I've just come off maternity leave and I'm working and, you know, when you're out of the workplace and then you go back in the workplace, it's a X plus Y equals, you know, you do the calculations in your head. So I'm not at home, I'm going out to work. So, you know, it's going to cost this much. But I think, you know, I think that's generally what people think. I think I've been very fortunate in that my husband and I have we've always said, and he's always said, no, it's our, it's coming out of our joint account. Um, and, you know, that it's also keeping um, my foot in the door with my career and that that, as you were saying, has amazing benefits. So I think it's generally partners who need to have that support to change that perception. And in that way, women will also kind of change their perception that it's, oh, but because you, you do, you, you in your head, you tally it up. You're like, okay, well, if I do this and, but if you've got a partner going, no, that's ridiculous. No, it's from our joint money. Then you kind of can move on from that, I think. Mm. I'll be honest, I haven't thought about that. <laughs> Surprisingly. <laughs> I, it is so far from where I'm at in my life at the moment. I have literally given it no thought. However, having heard what you two have I just won't be shot now, of an opinion, though. <laughs> I'll tell just you what give I me a moment. <clears throat> Buckle up. <laughs> it is. That is troubling to me. And that's pretty much the extent of what I will say because I am not in this conversation. <laughs> And I'm, and that's absolutely fine. I don't feel excluded at all. But I, I think that it, it's, it's a real problem. And I have no concept of what even the answer would be. Lobbying the government, maybe. <laughs> Tell me, what do I need to do? What do I need to sign? I'm on board, you guys. I'm going to help you. I think childcare is, as I near it, is the biggest mm. electoral yeah. <laughs> issue that I would consider mm. a political party mm. on at the moment. Is Be- it not crime? <laughs> Well, it's reference to crime. one of our earlier podcasts. Crime is number two. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But I just think even just going through the process of childcare, trying to get on wait lists, mm. you know, around my area where you call and they say we've got 350 on the wait list for the um, baby room and 16 places. Mm. And then you call five others and they are equally as bad. Childcare in Australia. It's a massive issue. Yeah, it yeah. seems like it is just ripe for disruption. Yeah. And, yeah, well... I guess overall, 
if we have to make a summary of um, <laughs> of what we think about this topic, what do we all believe? I think it's just going to be a general shift and everybody needs to get on board with getting women out in the workplace and that's partners and the women themselves to not do those calculations, go, oh, well, it's my my job that's doing it. Mm. It's both of yours. Yeah. Dim? Um, mm. I'll help with babysitting whenever I <laughs> <laughs> Great, for free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like give everyone the help that they can get. Get women back in as quickly as possible if they want. If they want, their choice. All right. So we're 50-50 on that one. <laughs> Moving right along. So this week we're going to change things up a bit. We've each had a, a time for a question and, L, the time has come for you. It has. And I was going to ask this outside of the podcast and I thought, well, <laughs> what great content. Because recently I have been rereading one of the books that I used to read, I think I first read it when I was about 15, and it's by an author by Paul, called Paulina Simons, and I've loved her book. She wrote oh. Tally. I know. I know. Oh. She wrote Tally and Red Leaves. If I had have known and... this was a question, this is why no, I'm going to No, you're going to like this okay. question. She wrote Tally and Red Leaves and a whole range of stuff, and I've really loved her books over the years. and. You know, I do a lot of academic reading, so it's been really nice just to kind of sit and it's these books, it's the it's a series of three. The first one's called The Bronze Horseman and the second one's Bridge to the Holy Cross, I think, and the third one's The Summer Garden. They're all equally as boring. <laughs> <laughs> well, I read the first and the third because that's all I had on my bookshelf and I've read them again. You know, this is a, a few times that I've read them and I got through the first one. I was like, oh, yeah, I still really like that book and – and then there's a couple of things kind of playing on my mind and then I got, you know, through the third one. And it's set in World War Two, and it's about this American – if you haven't read it by now, it's written in 2000, so, you know, get on to no it. No spoiler so, alert. No spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> and this American man who's um, become a Russian army officer and he falls in love with this Russian woman and, you know, they have this fabulous romance in Leningrad during the blockade and then she escapes to America and then they make a new life for themselves in America together. And what I noticed – reading through this I thought you know he's portrayed as this tall dark handsome and she's very small and diminutive and you know it's this great romance but as I was reading I thought oh my gosh he's abusive he is (laughs) actually this is written and is very disturbing (laughs) and what I think was most disturbing was that you know, there's a power imbalance. She's 17 when they meet. He's 22. He's always bigger. He's always stronger. And it's all kind of seen from love and romance. And he sweeps her up and, you know, it's jealousy, but, you know, he grabs her because he doesn't want her to leave or all of these things. And I just, you know, at the start when I, I think previously when I've read, I thought, oh, well, you know, it's the 1940s or it's the 1950s. And I kind of dismissed that. Whereas now, and I know I've spoken to a few friends about this, that once you start looking at things with this perspective, you can't unsee it. And my question is, can you like or enjoy books now that, you know, disrupt that your feminist that perspective? <laughs> I'm fe- I feel woke and I'm really sad because I used to love these books and I love the historical aspect of it. I like, love yes. <laughs> and I love the Russian history and I loved all of that. And But now I can't, I don't think I can read them again the same and it's a bit sad. 
So I'm going to surprise myself here because I hate these books and I hated them not because of the feminist issue, just because they're boring. <laughs> and, and a few people, have, and you've tried to get me on them multiple times. Well, they've got a 4.1 on Goodreads because I thought at the start, oh my gosh, am I the only one that hasn't realised this? And no, there's a lot of people that haven't realised that he's yeah. abusive. What? So, and they want the romance. Okay. So I can't believe I'm going to say this. <laughs> I think that despite the fact that I don't like these books, mm. I'm actually okay with checking your feminist lens at the door. Really? But- yep. Yep. Because sometimes you can't – it's what, like what we were talking about with Insatiable last week. Mm. Sometimes you just – you need to be able to enjoy things without having to put an academic or philosophical or, or feminist lens on it, and that's okay. Yeah, but the whole point of these – because I then looked up interviews by the author and she doesn't mention this at all about – she calls him the hero and the heroine and, you know, all of the reviews are about how romantic it is. I think it's glorifying it. I think that's what my issue is. Mm. It's it's seen as a flaw but it's not examined. And I've read books before with, you know, abusive relationships and it's examined and the woman's response is examined and it's, you know, all of that to and fro. There's none of that in it. It seems totally blind to the fact that this is happening. So I think that's my issue with it, that it's glorifying it a little bit. (sighs) (laughs) Have you read them, Dim? I have not read them, no. I don't know. I think the biggest issue, Elle, is that you won't be able to check your feminist perspective at the door. I I think I'm done with it. Yeah, I I really do. I kind of closed the book and went, yeah, I actually don't think I need that kind of story in my life with that kind of relationship dynamic it just um yeah kind of ruined it for me which and it's sad because yeah I have read these books for years and years and I just can't believe that I never saw it yeah. before I'm yeah. sorry Elle. that's mm. a really sad yeah, way to end that's that. right. okay so I need no. a book recommendation okay. for next week. <laughs> yeah. We'll find one for you. But it's a no from you. It's a no from me. And surprisingly, despite the fact that I don't like the books, it's a yes from me. So there you go. Now, final segment. The mantra. Dim, bring us back to some little bit of a little nugget of truth. A little bit of inspiration. A sage a bit of advice. Joy. Yep. So I've got two because I couldn't decide. Mm-hmm. And it's my segment this week, so <laughs> I can do what I want. So basically, the within first... reason you can, I can, <laughs> you can turn off my. Mic. I can. <laughs> you have the power. <laughs> so basically, that one is a mantra and one is a quote, and the mantra is something I truly do live by, and the quote is something that I try to recall when I'm having a tough moment. So my mantra is something that was told to me when I was um, a few years ago, and I was probably not as fun as I am now. And it was a, <laughs> a guy that I'm friends with, and he was trying to persuade me to do something. And I was like, no, I'm tired. I want to stay in. I don't want to do it. And he said, well, what experience are you going to get if you stay in? Mm. And what experience will you get if you come out? And it was so persuasive to me because I thought, I know what experience I'll get if I stay in. I'll watch TV. I'll watch Mm. this. I'll eat this and it'll be delicious. But I know that I've had that experience. What experience will I get if if I go out or if I do this thing? I don't know. Like, what will that look like? And it's really helped me throughout my entire life. I think about it often. I think, what experience will I get if I do this? Or if I don't do this. And, yeah, I, I find mm. it very helpful for me. Hang on. Is that your quote or your mantra? That's my mantra. Mm. Okay. My quote is even better, I think. So this is by an Instagram 
quota, <laughs> professional quota. I can only assume that's his job. Is that, yeah. His name's Bo Taplin and, um, oh, yeah. yeah, he's got be- – he really does have beautiful quotes on Instagram. But one in particular must have come up after I had a breakup a few years ago and it was so relevant and so timely and so powerful for me at this time that I screenshotted it and have just constantly referred back to it and sent it on to people when they're having a hard time. And the quote is, she was unstoppable, not because she did not have failures or doubts, but because she continued on despite them. And I just thought, fucking wow. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good one to live by. Yeah, that's a nice one to finish on, I reckon. Because it's like you we'll have that up the on Insta. hard moments yeah. you, and that's what makes you exceptional mm. when you get past those. Yeah, yeah. they're what like we'll it. remember. Yeah. <laughs> so go forth, people. Remember the failures are helping you get to the end point. That's that's what it's all about, Dimmer. Mm-hmm. Inspiration from a 27-year-old. Who would have thought? Oh, she just loves to rile you up, doesn't she? <laughs> Not you, Ellen. Just, just find a little Just a little jab. Little jab. Just a little book, book, book. Just a little bit. It's been too nice. <laughs> Okay, so this has been the Millennial Divide. We've really thank you for listening. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also rate, review or leave us a comment. We love reading them, so please fill our feed up. And also tell your friends. If you think this is something that they'd like, then pass it on. We'd love to hear from them as well. We'll see you next week. Bye. 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 Bye.